parenting is hard work and it's a little bit of a lazy choice just to let that device um, babysit your child. Sitting there and having a conversation, working through things is work. It's called parenting. Produced by Podcast Architects. Welcome back to another episode of The Path Forward. I'm your host, Dr. Rick Fernandez, where we talk education and innovation. And we have a very special guest today, someone I'm very excited to talk to and pick their brain on just that education, entrepreneurship, and the blending of the two. I've got Tom Ellsworth, the biz doc. Tom, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Rick. One thing I love to talk about, it's education. Well, I knew you'd have some strong opinions, but before we get to that, tell us a little bit about yourself. You've got a long line of uh, accomplishments, so I don't want to leave any out. So give us a little bit. Well, I don't like talking about myself too much, but suffice to say, I've started, built, and sold several companies uh, along the way. I've had the privilege to work with Patrick Bet David. Many of you may see the PBD podcast. I'm regular on what's called the home team part of that. About two times a week, we do home team. And I also have my own podcast, Simply the BizDoc Podcast. And in that podcast, I I do case studies on companies because I love finding what's in it for the small businessman and teaching that. My passion's teaching. I'm adjunct professor at Biola University out of Southern California. And just, and I got two daughters. And so I've just committed sort of the second half of my career, a key component about it has been teaching and education. And maybe that was influenced by my wife, who is a career teacher, which also has a dual credential to teach uh, children with learning differences and challenges. And so I'm all about education. I'm just thrilled to be here. When I saw that this is what you talk about, I said, that's great. Well, I mean, so you have a, a insider's look, if you will, being your wife's in, in public education and what have you. Um, give it, give me your overall perspective, right? There's a lot going on in the world, whether it be in politics, business, the economy. What is your perspective? Are we missing some things in public education? Yeah, I would say over the last 10 to 15 years, the quality of parenting is directly impacting uh, the students in the classroom. It feels to my wife and many other educators that are out there and administrators, and this is public school, high dollar private school, parochial schools, Catholic church schools working in the middle of our cities, trying to educate kids downtown. It doesn't seem to matter. There is this distraction of the parent that the kids have a lower attention span, distracted heavily by digital devices, an iPad, an iPhone, and are, and are less um, less cooperative with authority. I don't mean like a principal with a ruler like 1955. You know, you went to the nun's office and she broke your fingers. Um, nothing like that. Just authority to say, this is what we're doing today. This is the structure of the class. And you get kids that will talk or be distracted. But over the last 10 to 15 years, my wife and many others believe that digital devices are creating a distraction and that parents need to intervene and the parenting push kids back to long attention span with reading. Sure, there's a lot of great apps out there for math and math um, enhancement and enrichment, 100%. And some great app makers have made some wonderful apps where kids can learn math, math so easy. 
but there is no substitute for the human brain to, to sit down and read and to have a focus session and let that story come to life and to mentally process it. And the third point is relationship. Having a human relationship and a human conversation, not through text, not through social media, but a human. And so if you take those three things, math, reading, and relationship, there's only one of them that I would have a lot of digital device in my kid's life. The rest of it, I want to take that out so they can develop as people. And that, we believe, in a capsule is a major change and a major challenge in education today. So how much is it on the, the digital devices or is it just students now have more options? Kids now have more options. Whereas as you and I were growing up, you know, there was a lot more kids outside riding their bikes, playing sports. Uh, you know, you could let your child walk down the street and they'd come back when the lights came on. And, and a lot of times parents are, are a little bit nervous to do that because of the environment that they live in or what have you. And so there's all of these different options. Is it, is it too much choice almost? I don't think it's choice. I think it's parents allowing the digital device at an early age to be a form of pacifier or babysitter. Okay. They don't have to do that. Parenting is hard work, and it's a little bit of a lazy choice just to let that device um, babysit your child. Sitting there and having a conversation, working through things is work. It's called parenting. Anybody can be a biological mother or father. It takes 30 seconds. Um, but to be a mom or a dad, those are different words that talk about guidance and enrichment and relationship. Um, and I, I believe we've become lazy as men and women and are using digital devices as pacifiers or letting them watch a lot of television and a lot of, or just the internet at home. And Subsequently, it's carrying over into the classroom and it's being seen in behavior. You know, you bring up a lot of good points of maybe some things we need to consider in terms of how we how we parent, uh, what we provide students, what we provide kids and and rethink uh, what are the important factors. And see, you're, you're seeing this all the time play out in business, whether you're helping companies or what have you. When you think back to your own school experience, what are we missing in terms of curriculum or, or coursework that entrepreneurs need to have that they're not receiving? So when you get these new businesses, there's these gaps, right? Is there something that we're missing in terms of the opportunity we provide for students to kind of fail almost, if you will? That's a great question. So if we're going to talk about entrepreneurship and providing things to uh, you know students, I think one of the things is to understand that in capitalism and freedom in America, you have freedom to try, freedom to fail, and freedom of choice. And too often, I think we try to protect students from failure. Um, the Special Olympics has a noble pur purpose to take people that have great challenges and make them feel the exhilaration of accomplishment while we cheer for them. But when we carry that same mentality over and don't want our kids or students to feel failure or feel challenge or feel obligation, we're selling them short. Uh, when you look at entrepreneurs that are out there and you look at, go back many, many years, Bill Gates, and then not so many years, Mark Zuckerberg, they quit Harvard and they dropped out of Harvard without 
even a concern about you're failing at college. No, I'm not. I'm driving and succeeding. And what I think kids need now today is maybe case studies in the classroom to let them understand you are going to fail. You are going to try things that aren't going to go right. Athletes understand it. If you, you know, if you hit a baseball once every three times at bat, that is 333. That batting average will get you a mammoth con contract and a great living for you, your parents, your children, and your grandchildren. Whereas too often we look at other things in life like that, and if we tried three things and failed, we suddenly want to coddle people. I think to encourage people that the freedom of choice and liberty and free enterprise brings with it the freedom to try something and the freedom to fail. And failure is not bad. Failure is, is a load of experience you didn't have until you failed. So I think bringing that in and really having honest dialogues and a lot of encouragement with the students about how, you know, failure is not something that we need to protect you from like the Special Olympics. Sure. You know, failure is okay. And the boldness to try is important. You know, when you're talking about growing companies and, and helping young entrepreneurs fail and get back up off the off the ground, so to speak, as you're coaching people, I've always wondered, why do we not coach, whether it be teachers or, or business leaders, why do we not coach as if they're athletes? And what I mean by that, if you're, like you said, baseball, right? Baseball players get very discreet, very timely, the, you know, instant feedback, right? And then they have that practice every single day. They have that hitting practice, that pitching practice, and the coaches there are just drilling into them every single piece of like, do this, do that, don't do this. And then they have, you know, what you would call a test or, or an event and to see if they're successful, then they have to go right back to the drawing board and make tweaks. Why don't we use more of that framework in business or in education where we're coaching for growth like athletics does? I think a lot of it happens in good businesses, not all businesses, but good businesses, entrepreneurial businesses. Um, it's kind of funny. I was just talking to somebody and I happened to have it here. This is the playbook for PHP. If you've heard Patrick Bet David on the podcast talking about PHP, the insurance company that he built out of his life savings in a one room apartment in Southern California, into a tremendous you know, network of hundreds of offices and tens of thousands of agents, you know, he gave them a framework and, and really trained them up. So good companies are training like that. And I think in school frequently, if a kid gets a failing grade or, or things, um, you know, the parents will come talk to the teacher. If the kid isn't good enough to be a starter on the soccer team, the kids are going to come and kind of talk to the coach and sometimes not very pleasantly. And the, the, the coach says, well, they're not quite ready. And the, the parents want to push it. Well, he's going to be disappointed. He's going to be frustrated. Well, okay, we'll, we'll move him from junior varsity to varsity and see if he gets nowhere in a tough game against superior players and see how he feels then. How dejected is he going to be then? He shouldn't be playing at that level. He should be playing at this level. I think sometimes we intervene and it's back to this coddling and keeping it. But if we really, if we really coached in school rather than kind of put people through a mill, I think it would be far better. 
And I think we've seen case studies and movies written about spectacular teachers that did that with spectacular results. Absolutely, absolutely. So when you're looking at business people, or if you're even looking for somebody to come on your team or one of the teams that you've had, what's the first thing you look for, whether it be in your interview or just meeting somebody to know, okay, this is somebody I'm interested to, to learn more about, to join our team? Well, first of all, I'm doing skill-based review for the positions. But once I'm sure that HR has a few candidates that have the necessary background and skills, so can you do the job? The first thing I'm looking for is cultural fit. And I'm looking for authenticity, those two things. Are you gonna fit this culture and are you being authentic or are you just well-trained and ready to give me interview answers? Uh, I'm not here for interview answers and the, the interview answers become so obvious. Um, but I'm looking for cultural fit and then I'm looking for authenticity. How are you how are you judging authenticity? Is it is it just the feeling that they have as they answer questions or there's conversation? Where, what's your your measure, measuring stick for that? That's a great that's a great question. I ask people to be reflective about themselves. I ask people to, you know, talk to me about what they learned this year, what they're working on. Um, I talk to people about what did they learn last year? Um, and I split it up. What did you learn technically, like skills, whether you're accountant, marketing, whatever you are, web designer, doesn't matter. What did you learn last year in your profession? And why did you learn that? Was it necessary? You know, did a project come up that you had to figure it out? And then what did you learn on the soft skills, presenting, communicating? Maybe, maybe you're already managing people as a team lead or a manager. And so I asked them what they learned. And you know what's interesting? You know, when people are paying attention, they'll tell you what they learn. Everybody else tells you what they do. You know, oh, I do this, I do this, I do this. And when you tell them, what are you working on this year? Some people think, what are you developing in yourself? What are you doing this year? Suddenly some people come back, uh, 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 they think it's like a negative, like they don't know something. Well, how do you not? There's things you don't know, you're gonna learn every year. So the more questions you ask, you'll be able to tell from thoughtful answer versus stammering and answering the wrong thing or just throwing out what really seems like a memorized canned answer. So it's a little instinct on my part, but sometimes it's very easy to tell with the candidates that are interviewed. So you're looking for a little bit of curiosity uh, and a little passion for learning outside of maybe even the role that they're, that they're coming on or they're applying for. Absolutely. I love that. If you're a young entrepreneur and, you know, one of the things is a school superintendent and a principal and you're trying to figure out not only how people do things, but their decision making process. I feel like that's the biggest gap when you're when you're a leader coming through the ranks is you don't have access to how people are making the decisions. And then sometimes the autopsy of the bad decision. Right. How does that all work? Um, what. If you're a young entrepreneur, what do you need to be asking? If you have time with people that, that are successful, what are some of the things you need to be asking or listening for when you have that access to them? So you're talking about successful people? Yeah, if I'm in a room of, of people that, I, that are, uh, I, I'm looking up to or leaders um, that I aspire to be or what have you in my career, and I have a little bit of time with them, what should I be asking them to get the biggest bang for buck for my learning? Well, that's great. So um, I like to ask them, describe a little bit about yourself as short as possible, 
and say, what were some of the biggest things you learned at my at like my stage of your career? And it might have come much earlier than, well, you're 29, 30. This I actually learned when I was 24. Or, you know what? I was slower before I've had this success. I didn't learn this till I was 40. I just want to know, what did they learn about the same stage I was? And if I was under 40 years old, that's what I'd ask everybody I run into. You know, well, what did you what did you learn? And what was the big lesson you had when you when you're in my same stage? Great leaders know and will tell you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found without that they're protecting themselves without I, protecting themselves, without any spin, without any shame. I, I, I would agree 100 percent. And those are rare. You know, most people are, are just telling you the successes or we go to conferences and we, we hear all the great things that are happening. But rarely get, do you get to dive into, man, I really screwed that up. And this is how I would do it different. And this is what you should think about before you make this type of decision or, or act on this initiative or what have you. Um, so I, I agree 100 percent. So when you're in there with value, with your valuetainment group and you're on the podcast, obviously there's very strong opinions flying around the table. How do you stick to who you are, even though obviously they're your friends and, and your colleagues, but how do you stick to who you are when the conversations get heated or there's disagreement? Well, it's part of, you know, I stick to who I am and what I believe and what my answer is. Because I'm not trying to win an argument. And if you're talking about Adam or Vinny, sometimes <laughs> yes. Adam and I will go at it a little bit. Vinny and I really don't necessarily go at it because at the passion, at the heart level, we're both patriots, if you think about that. <clears throat> and I think Vinny is a lot more emotional when he makes his points. And he's also, <clears throat> you know, um, kind of sees behind the curtain, sees the grassy knoll and kind of picks those things out and, and will call those out, those things that he thinks he's seeing. And I tend to just go straight. I know there's some forces out there. I know there's things behind the scenes, but I just let it go. And I only talk about what is here and now. There is a cause. And you hear me talk a lot about upstream. You know, I, I say, if you want to fix downstream problems, go upstream and find out what the hell's going on. <clears throat> Don't, as I like, so I stick to who I am and stick to my source of analysis. And I may go back and forth with them a little bit, but I'm not trying to win. I'm trying to make my point. And if I feel like I've made my point, I can stop. And then Pat can go on to the next topic. Very nice. As you reflect on some of your, your businesses and the people that you've coached, what's the biggest mistake that you've made that when you look back on, it's like, man, I wish I had that one to do over again. In terms of coaching people or business mistake? Uh, do both, if you don't mind, if you, if you can think of one for each off the top of your head. Yeah, I think think a couple times early in my career, you know, under 30, I let the intensity of the project and the intensity of the organization or my boss rain down too heavily on my people. And uh, sometimes you need to insulate your people from that not insulate your people from truth and the consequences and from the reality of their actions. But sometimes it's best to do that in closed door with the team and not to allow them to be maybe rained on in a larger form because other people always like to chime in. You know, you'll have a, you know, head of marketing 
that operations is having issues and ahead of marketing go, oh, I can't believe this. Oh, this is so tough. And what the what he or she is doing is trying to get is just throwing gasoline on the fire and trying to seem like they're agreeing with the CEO. But they're what they're really doing is they're just making it worse for a coworker. And everybody's bonus is based on success. So, yeah, we can talk about being disappointed with a vendor, disappointed with an employee, disappointed with something. But you know what? Let's let's talk about solution success. And when you get in those rooms, I've had my team that was with me and it got too heated in those rooms and they get really, really a little bit, you know, ruffled and unsettled. And it's because they hadn't been in, around enough years of experience to understand that no one's getting fired. If we fired somebody every day, there was a mistake. By Friday, we have nobody at the company. <laughs> and so I think one of my stakes early on was not insulating my people so I could give them the blunt and honest feedback and say, hey, look, we have to fix this problem. That's what we have to work on. But please know as you encounter other people, there's a lot of frustration in the organization because this is going to cost people a bonus this year, a little bit of that because we didn't perform. Therefore, product group doesn't perform. Therefore, we don't make the product group goals and it's going to affect everybody's bonuses a bit. So some people that are just thinking about their bonuses are a little concerned. Now then, it's also going to affect the company. And if you care more about the company than you do about your bonus, you're going to be here longer than anybody else is that's only caring about their bonus. You're going to be here a nice long time. But a lot of times I didn't, I didn't insulate people because I didn't know. And if I had it to do again, I can think of a couple times where I would have given very blunt and very straight feedback to my people, but I would have insulated them from everything else because they hadn't had enough years in business maybe to know that, no one's getting fired in there, but there are people that are, you know, fairly upset. Awesome. I appreciate being honest. And, and that's something uh, I think as leaders, we think about maybe we could all do a better job of that. Um, you know, superintendent, you're thinking of the community, sometimes the staff, sometimes it's the kids. Uh, you're you're charged for a lot of making sure that the heavy weight falls on you because you're the one that's supposed to handle it. So I, I can uh, I certainly understand that. Okay, last question. I'll let you get out of here. Higher ed. I, it's my opinion that higher ed is is a little bit off track with what is needed in the workforce, what is needed uh, for skill sets out there um, for for you know entrepreneurs like yourself and other people. What is your belief about higher ed and where it sits now? How valuable is it? And are students do they need to go get this debt? to have a degree to be successful? Well, I can answer that. You may have heard me on the podcast and I'll repeat what I said on the podcast. It says, I will not encourage, nor will I pay for either of my daughters to go get a liberal arts degree or any non-directly applicable skill degree. STEM, gonna be a physician, get a degree in biology, get your, your, your degree in, in medicine, be a doctor all day long. You know, want to be a lawyer and you're going to get specifically a degree in American history and poli sci directly applicable to having the underlying skill set to go take your LSAT and go to law school, pay for that all day long and anything STEM, anything STEM, you know, um, pay for that. And my older daughter, selected rice and she's going to double major in sport analytics and sport management 
if sports are different by the time she gets there. If you just take off the word sport from her degrees, she has a degree in analytics and management. So pretty STEM oriented on, on half of that major. And I will not I will not encourage nor will I pay for anything in liberal arts. Zero. Oh, I'm gonna get a communications degree. Not doing it. And I don't think it's necessary. Now, are there companies that are still gonna put you through the filter, say, do you have a degree? Yes. But I am seeing companies, smart ones, look at the degree that the student with the degree that says, okay, you got a degree from Brown. So you're smart enough to get into Brown. Someone had to pay for Brown, whether it's you, your parents, or the U.S. government. If it's U.S. government, now you have a loan. And okay, good. So you're smart enough to get into Brown, but you have a degree in what? May not be even applicable here, in which case you're saying, well, I guess we're hiring a smart person. And if they if they can learn, then we can put them in a training program in a position. Well, I look at it the other way and say, no, wait a minute. You know, I don't know if higher education is is necessary at that level. You know, I've seen people that said, listen, I have been self-taught, autodidact, which means self-taught, <clears throat> on web services and web security and shopping carts. And I've learned three different languages over eight years as all of that has evolved and as security has become more important for the shopping online. And I now know these five languages and I've taken these courses on Upwork or Coursera and I have certificates. I'm not talking about a two hour course, Rick. I'm talking about they took a multi week, you know, like full semester long, you know, 360 hours with study course and they have a, a real live certificate. Suddenly I'm seeing those and I'm like, wow, okay. You know what? I regard that with as much weight as I regard a <clears throat> degree. And I think higher education is in trouble. I'm on record that I think the admissions process is has been corrupted, is discriminatory. And you know, as the, the Asian families versus Yale pointed out, which which was uh, one of the many things that led to a separate suit that went to all the way to the Supreme Court about um, admission guidelines. You know, I think that's messed up. I think the wokeism that's out there, I think that's messed up. And so universities have become discriminatory sources of indoctrination more often than they become centers of higher learning so that men and women can get their final chapter of maturity and a wonderful education in something and go out in the world as fabulously productive citizens. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for that. There's a uh, mouthful there, and I'm annoyed about a couple of things. I hope that doesn't <laughs> offend any of your listeners. Well, you know, one thing that the listeners appreciate is that somebody's going to be authentic, like you said, right? We'd rather have your, your true opinion. And, um, you know, hey, that, that, that I'd rather have the truth and, and be able to digest what, what I need from that. And and know where people stand. That's that's what it's all about. That's why we live in America, right? There's, I think there's there's little glimmers of hope, and it doesn't fix everything because you've got boards of regents, boards of trustees, deans, assistant deans, department chairs, and there's a lot of that we have to cycle through to change the thought that's in American universities. But after that terrible um, um, uh, session in front of Congress, in which um, Representative Stefanik did a marvelous job with the presidents of, of Penn, um, MIT, and Harvard, resulting in the 
resignations, but they stayed on doing other things in university, which is my point. They just resigned the presidentship at Harvard and Penn, but they went back to what they were doing. There is a group called Penn Forward that was a group of Penn alumni. And if you Google Penn Forward and read the charter they're putting forth and then see all of the people and that at Penn, professors, administrators at Penn that are supportive of this saying that what's going on is out of control as well as professors from around the country at other schools, you will see there is an undercurrent of common sense that wants to come forward if they will be permitted to. And that's exactly what Penn Forward is, is all about, saying we need to permit this to come forward, not snuff it to create the center of indoctrination and leftist thinking with Marxist overtones that is present today. So the bottom line is, do, do you think, and this is kind of what I've, I've been reading into and seeing, where businesses will start creating their own education programs, meaning you come straight from high school and then you go into our corporate training and, and don't need college or don't need, like you said, get a certificate and go right into to working for us. We get to train you. We don't have to, to retrain you, so to speak. Uh, I believe that's going to be a lot more of that type of uh, business leadership in the future. I'll tell you, Patrick, Bet David built that with a PHP agency. If you just have just a little tiny bit of mathematical ability, just a little bit of like, you know, quantitative and logic ability, just a bit, because life insurance, you know, there are some things you have to, to kind of understand about the basics of it. Then you can come with a GED or no high school education at all, or, or were kicked out of high school and the judge sent you to the military to avoid sending you to juvenile hall. Those people, as long as you don't have a criminal background, can go get trained and become life insurance agents at PHP. And then under that program that I showed you, the PHP blueprint, this is the curriculum. This is the education. This company did it, what you're talking about. To take those people and build them into agents, build them into office managers that are running their own office, build them into people managers that are managing the people in their office, building them into sales leaders that are driving the sales in their office. And ultimately, with multiple offices, there are people with no high school education who have had not just a second chance in life through PHP, but they've proven themselves to be entrepreneurs and now are multi-million dollar a year earners with multiple offices that they've built. So can companies do that? I had the privilege to work and help with back office scaling and a lot of administrative growth and ultimately selling the company with Patrick. And it was a privilege. And I think there are more companies are gonna be thinking about, hey, you know, we don't want a high school dropout because we want people with some common sense and some maturity <clears throat> and a little bit of smarts, just a little bit, but then we're gonna teach them. I think it's gonna happen. I think you're gonna come a day where people will say, you know, I will teach you something. I will teach you to be an IBM salesperson. IBM had the greatest sales training program ever. And I went to a small public, um, you know, uh, you know, college and then went to IBM and finished number one of my class in sales training because I listened to them and I did it their way. And they just said, you seem like a smart guy. You know, we'll hire you. And um, we, we went from there. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. I love it. I think that's, you know, I think that's the future 
for business as, as we're moving forward. It seems to be uh, you can get a lot more done if you take ownership of the students and say, hey, just just give in and come do it our way and learn, learn on the job. Well, Tom, I, I appreciate you joining us today on the Path Forward. Before we go, is there anything you want to shout out? Like how do people get in contact if they're interested in, in your services for their business? Well, you know, you can find me um, on the PBD podcast, but you can also uh, find me on Minnect, M-I-N-N-E-C-T. It's an app for Android and iOS. You can find me in there and ask me questions about it. We built Minnect to let literally anyone become a consultant and let anyone get an answer they need. Most of the time you go find somebody on LinkedIn and leave a message on their on the LinkedIn message. They say that over 97% of the time you will get no answer whatsoever. Either they're too busy, they don't check LinkedIn, or they're just feel like they're not going to give three advice. And we've built Minex so you can find people and get answers. If anybody wants to engage with me, you can answer me a question. I'll answer you in text. I'll answer you in video. Or you could set up a one-on-one Zoom through Minect, M-I-N-N-E-C-T. Do you have a minute? Let's connect. That's easy place to find me. I'm also on LinkedIn, and I'm on the PBD podcast with the home team. Thanks so much, Tom. I really appreciate your time, your perspective, and just the work that you've been doing uh, for young entrepreneurs. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Rick. You got it. Produced by Podcast Architects.